started, so I just invite you to pray with me. Um, here we go. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Amen. So, uh, John 19 um, is going to deal with, uh, with some resurrection stuff. John 19 is the burial, um, and then what we have is 20 uh, is, is going to lead us into uh, after, after the burial of Jesus. And so we, we started in John 19, the latter part of it this morning, and um, I, I frightened myself for a second there because I thought I put the wrong scripture references, and I was like, good. I just want you to know what's going on up here. I'm looking at my notes, and I'm like, I don't think that's right. It is right, though. All right, so John 19, uh, I didn't have to tell you any of that. I just wanted you guys to know that I was having a little panic attack. Um, and so John 19... 38 says this, um, afterward, this is talking about after uh, Jesus was, was dead on the cross, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away with him, Nicodemus, the man who... Uh, had come to Jesus at, in the night, or at night, uh, and he had bought 70, about 75 pounds of perfume ointment made with myrrh and aloes. And following Jesus' uh, or Jewish burial customs, they, were, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before, and so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, what's striking to me, and I've never really noticed this before, and maybe you have, and that's awesome, is this. Isn't it it's striking to me that we have Jesus, who is, is greeted twice, by, by these guys who come under the cover of night. And they come and they deliver uh, gifts to him that are expensive. And we, if we recall, we have to go back, all right? And we'd have to look that Jesus was greeted, actually, uh, when he was a young boy, by three wise men in the night who got, came and brought him expensive gifts. And they saw him out in the cover of night. Uh, and now Jesus, at his death, is being sought. His body is being sought by these men who followed him in the cover of night. They, they followed him secretly, right? But now what we would see here um, is that these men are going to bring myrrh and aloe. And by doing this, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are now making a public statement all right, about their following of Christ. There was no hiding it. People saw Jesus on the tree. They saw them 
retrieved the body. They saw them bring 75 pounds. This was not cheap of myrrh and aloe. Um, they see um, these prominent men of Jewish leadership come to bury the king of kings. And I just want to put something out there, too. This was not a common burial. All right? When they say that this was in a garden, um, this would be something equivalent to maybe the burials of uh, the kings of Israel. It's in a garden. It's in a tomb that's never been used before. That would be extremely expensive to do. But they thought, this is the king of kings. He deserves a proper burial. And so they put him in this tomb that's never been used in this garden setting. It sounds like the, 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 where they might have laid the king, the kings of Israel. They spared no expense. And, and the fact of this hits me. You, can't spare, you cannot spare expense when you meet the king of glory. Right? We've heard, we've heard this where um, the gospel stories where uh, people would go and they, they find this, this treasure in the field. Right? And when they find the treasure in the field, they're willing to sell anything to get it. And, and what they find here is Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. They spare no expense. Uh, when you're in the presence of eternal glory, your life is forever changed. And so it's senseless to argue anymore. It's futile to resist when the good news of Jesus overtakes you. You can either run from the overwhelming grace and mercy of God, or you can run into the arms of the one who formed you. It's really that simple. He knows you. He loves you. He meets you where you are. And I think about this when I think about it. Joseph of Arimathea, I specifically think about Nicodemus. Nicodemus had all of these questions. Nicodemus comes under the covering of night. We read this back a few chapters ago. Comes under the covering of night. He's discovering, he's asking these questions to Jesus. You know, and he's very little. What do you mean a man has to enter his mother again and be born again? No. And Jesus is walking him through the concepts of the kingdom of God. And so here he is, and he's coming and making this public statement. And so the first takeaway today that I want to encourage us with is this. Bring your gifts to the king. And maybe you're like me, and you have this thought that says, what in the world could I bring to the king of kings? What could I bring? Or maybe you're the opposite and you're full of yourself. I asked so much for Jesus. I am so glad that he finally asked. Um, because there's, I have so much to offer him. And, but, but I think most of us probably think more in, in the former. right? Where we think, what do, I, what do I have to offer the eternal king of glory? The king of kings, Jesus, what can I offer him? What can I possibly do? Uh, it says this in, in John 4, 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won victory over those people because the spirit of the, uh, the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. 1 John 4, 4. The reality of this is that the gift you're bringing to the Lord is a kingdom gift. 
And what do I mean by this? It just means this. The kingdom of God is a bit of a reverse economy. If you've ever sat in these chairs before, you've heard this concept of reverse economy. I mean, we think about the king of kings. What would we think about the king of kings would come and do? If we were going to think about that on our own, well, the king of kings would come and rule in might and in power, and he would wear these fancy, awesome clothes, and he would say things that are provocative, and he would just be all-powerful. And what we find is the king of kings on a tree dying. And defeats death through death through resurrection. We would say that's a reverse economy. And so um, we've experienced this last week when we talked about Jesus' resurrection is this, that when, when Jesus dies, he actually brings us life. That's a reverse economy. And in the same way, we bring our lives to Jesus as an act of surrender that he would make us new. Amen. And so what gift do we bring when we bring ourselves to him? Here, I'll give you the example of a broken or a reverse economy. God, I'm going to bring my broken self to you. I'm going to surrender myself to you and exchange what you're telling me, Lord Jesus, is this, that you're going to give me a new life. A life in which I can be made whole. Now, that seems like a pretty good idea. That seems like it makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense at the same time. I have nothing to offer you. You have everything to offer me. And what you're saying is surrender your life to me and I'll give you everything that you need. I'll give you eternity. And not often, what we've talked about before, not often sometime far from here where we have wings and we have arrows. Okay, but now. Because Jesus prayed a prayer that said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what do we have? We have ourselves, our broken selves that we exchange in for our lives that can be made new through Jesus. We're asking Jesus to do this. This is the exchange that he promised. That if we would die to ourselves, we could be made new. And now I've seen friends and family go through this process. And it's a beautiful thing because you see a person once filled with hopelessness that has hope. Now, does this mean that this person will never be sad again, they will never shed a tear again? It does not mean that. It means that they have eternal hope in that's only found in Jesus Christ. So I propose this. What is the gift that I bring to Jesus? The gift is actually me. And I say, God, you've given me life. You've breathed into my lungs. You have made me. You've created me. You know me. And I'm giving you all of me back to you. And here's what I would say to you. If you are walking in discouragement right now, you're like, what do I have to offer? I don't have anything to offer. There's nothing good in me. 
If Jesus is in you, there is something good in you. Something that is eternally good. Something that was from the beginning of creation. Something that is working in you. The power of the Holy Spirit working in your life today. And what is it called for? It's called for surrender. It's not called partial surrender. It's not called, God, I'll give you 85% of my life. I'll give you 98% of my life. But that 2% that I'm hanging on to, that's mine. It's called total abandonment to Jesus. What does total abandonment look like for you all? Oftentimes it is me, for me, it's not finding the right thing to say. It's knowing to shut my mouth. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can relate to that. Maybe you can't. Okay? But it also is finding the right thing to say. How many of you guys up in here, how many of you guys have to have an opinion, or you believe you have that opinion on everything? How many of you are brave enough to Our sound guy. <laughs> uh, and if we were honest, right, like our, our initial reaction to some stuff is like, okay, but then as we go, and I would say this, you know, what does it mean that we stand by and like watch, you know, decisions being made that are horrible and not have an opinion on those things? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is we're kingdom people and we should be informed by the king and the kingdom. And that's what our speech should be informed by, too. It's real easy. Jesus spoke out against the things that were wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Because truth is truth. Right? The truth of Jesus is the truth. Now, that may offend some people, but I'm not doing it in a way to be a jerk. I'm doing it in love because I care for those people. All right. So John 20, 1 through 10, says this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone and rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put it. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Slight brag there. He stooped uh, and looked in and saw the linen, linen, wrappings, linen wrappings laying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings laying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and laying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until they had, until they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead, then they went home. First of all, I'd like to just uh, point out a couple personality things there. The author says that he gets there first. They had a foot race. Right? The author won. The author doesn't go in. Peter 
Captain Zealous. Yeah. <laughs> he just, he charges in. What's, what the hell is going on in here? All right? And so, like we've said before, you always need, you always need a personality like that. Right? You always need a personality that's going to go like, oh, that dark alley? Let's go. And you're like, well, yeah, you can go first. And then, <laughs> then we'll follow you. And, <laughs> and so if he comes running, what do you do? Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, so, anyways, Mary shows up at the tomb, it's empty, she's distraught, she goes back, she gets Peter and John, she said they've taken the Lord's body, Peter and John apparently have a bit of a foot race, like I've already said, and so they discover the same exact thing. But here's the deal, they don't understand what is happening. And so takeaway number two is this, it's simple. Don't forget the promises of God. Don't forget the promises of God. And are we not like them sometimes? Are we not like them? Do you ever read, have you ever read 21 through 10 and thought, oh my gosh, dude, he said it plainly. He said that he was coming back. What are you doing? Why is this lack of faith there? But... And when things are good in our lives, if you guys are, maybe you won't, I'm going to talk from my perspective. Things are good in my life, I can succinctly tell you about the promises of God, the goodness of God, His grace and mercy, how He walks beside us all the time, He goes in front of us, He's beside me, He's below me, He's above me, He's behind me, um, He's just here, and He's there all the time, and then trouble comes. How I many of you guys have had trouble in your life? Anybody? Anybody got some trouble in your life? If you haven't, I want to talk to you afterwards. Um, and so, trouble comes, things get out of order, rhythms of life get messed up. You guys have had this experience. Uh, maybe some traumatic things happen. And all of a sudden, we have kingdom amnesia. I don't remember any of the promises of God. We might even be, God, where are you? I don't think this is fair. But can I encourage you this morning that the God of the calm and the mundane is also the God of the storm. Listen, I know that we can walk through seasons and we hope that the seasons will be shorter, right? But sometimes years pass. And we're walking through the same stuff. And so God is in the midst of the storm just as he's in the midst of the calm. God's word is still true. He's, his promises will always come to pass. And we see in the scripture that the group is upset that they cannot bring themselves. They're so upset that they cannot bring themselves for a second to remember these promises. And people might say, well, why would that be? They walked intimately with Jesus. How could this possibly be that they forget this? And how many of us have been in that same situation? We forget the promises of God. Because we're so caught up in the moment that we forget that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is on the throne. We might not like what we're going through. I'm not asking anybody, let's say somebody loses a loved one unexpectedly. I, the expectation is for you to walk in and be like, bless the Lord. God is so good. Right this moment. 
Yes, God is good, and there's a time to mourn. And he walks with us through our mourning. He walks with us through our celebrating. And so God has promises. I want to tell you guys a story that happened this week. I'm in grad school, and, um, and so I'm on this text thread with some fellow classmates, and um, we work in workshops that are two weeks long. So we're, we're, we just finished workshop. Actually, workshop three ends tonight at 11.50. And uh, I have all my work done. And so, <laughs> little brag. So, uh, anyways, we're like texting, and I mean, this workshop was crazy. And the amount, I mean, it had about 500 pages of reading, um, papers that had to be written, all this stuff had to be done, right? And, and so we're all having our moment on the text thread. You guys good? Is this insane or is it just me? Was that quiz? Where did it come from? Right? Was that the stuff we read? Right? And so got a really good grade on a quiz. Super proud of that. Won't tell you the score. Just know that it was really good. Um, he said completely facetiously. And so, so we're having this, but then we're having like everybody's having a moment. And I just was, I just felt like God was saying, you know what? Let's send a text that's encouraging for real, that we can be real in the moment and we can say, and so I just sent something, paraphrased, and was like, hey, this is a lot for sure. Right? But I know this. God has called us to this. And he will not forsake his call on our lives. Are we going to have to work and put forth effort? Absolutely. But God is still on his throne. We have all got this. We've got to sit down and we just got to grind it out. Paraphrase. And I got some thank yous and, and some stuff like that, but it, but it did make me think for a second, man, it's so easy to freak out. It's so easy last week for me to say, I can't do this. This is insane. You look at your to-do list, you have 26 things to do, and you're like, you're shaking, right? And you guys have walked through that too. Your lives get busy, you have these momentary freakouts, but here's what I would say is this, that, that God is a God of promises. That he walks with us, he walks uh, with us, and, and it's by the powerful his Holy Spirit that we can then walk through these things. And can I encourage you too? We live in a, we live in community. Get to know people that are in the seats next to you. Walk through life with these people. <coughs> you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing if on Sunday morning, like you didn't know anybody in the room. I think it'd be the worst thing. You know, and don't worry, like, hey, if you guys want to hang out afterwards. I'm not going to like start turning off lights, okay? Unless I know you really well, okay? And I know that you talk. Look, you have your time. Oh uh, no! So <laughs> the lights are on outside, and so but yeah, hang out. Let's walk in the community. Don't forget the promises, because here's what I know too: people that have spoken into my life about the promises, and you don't forget about. Them. And how does that, does that help? Has anybody been helped by someone that they know and say, yeah, that is right, you're right. 
promises of God are for real. They do not just come and go. In John 20, 11 through 18, it says this, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped to look in. She saw the white-robed uh, angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried, Rabboni, which means in Hebrew, teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father, and your Father, to God, to my God, and your God. Takeaway number three is really easy. Jesus will not leave us. This is the reality. This is truth. And this is reality. And I want to give you something that maybe you guys know of or have heard of Dallas Willard. If you've been around here for any time, you've got a philosopher um, taught at USC. Yeah, I was going to say UCL. Taught at USC, man of God. And he writes this in the spirit of the disciplines, a book that he wrote. I believe our present difficulty is one of misunderstanding how our experiences and actions enable us to receive the grace of God. There's a deep longing among Christians and non-Christians alike for the personal purity and power to live as our hearts tell us we should live. What we need is a deeper insight into our practical relationship with God in redemption. We need an understanding that can guide us in into constant interaction with the king, with the kingdom of God, as a real part of our daily lives. An ongoing spiritual presence, the Holy Spirit, that is at the same time a psychological reality, renewing of our minds. In other words, we must develop a psychologically sound theology of the spiritual life and of its disciplines to guide us. What is he saying there? That God renews our lives and he renews our minds. Believe it or not, God gave you a mind. Right? And a lot of times, the Holy Spirit speaks through our minds. You guys ever thought of that verse? And he heard a still, small voice. I'm going to contend that it wasn't. I'm going to contend that it was the mind. And so here he is saying what we need to do is have this practical level everyday interaction in our daily lives with the kingdom of God. That the reality of the Holy Spirit who lives 
in us, who dwells in us, those that are followers of Christ, they, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and is a reality. See, we're not living fantasy. We're living the reality of our lives right now. And so when we interact with Jesus, we're not interacting, what I want to say there is we're not interacting with a Marvel multiverse. We're interacting with the kingdom of God that is real, that is among us, that is breaking in among us. That desires to see people made whole, desires people to, to be made right, to desires that, that uh, people would be set free from the things that are holding them captive. And where is that found? It's only found in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I ask this question sometimes. What if we lived like Jesus was actually real? What if we lived like that? Not that we had a set of beliefs that we believed in and perfect doctrinal statements, but what if we lived like Jesus actually real. Which, newsflash, I believe that to be true. Right? I want to make clear I don't have anything wrong with doctrinal statements. Already got that email before. Okay? <laughs> Doctrine is good. It's not God. Right? So don't hear me say that. I'm all about the intellectual. Okay? And I'm all about you know, the Holy Spirit coming and reality. And I'm all about actually combining those two. Like we can actually be intelligent people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right? And so Deuteronomy 3, uh, 31, 6 says this. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And do not panic before them. For the Lord our God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you or abandon you. Now something, they're about to have, this is when something is about to go down. We're about to go into, and we're about to go into this land. And he says, listen, you don't have to walk in there. I'm not going to, you don't have to walk in there without me. I'm going before you. And I will not abandon them. I, I, I believe this, that that's still the message of God today. When we, when we sang that song, um, all of my idols must bow down. You know, I wonder if like some of those lyrics maybe in us are because I think it's something about flags. Let's say something about flags. Everybody has maybe an obsession. I don't know. Maybe you've seen these flags flying on cars, trucks, and they say very nice things. Okay. Um, they, I think one said, I'm praying for Joe Biden. No, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, <laughs> And, and so, uh, 
these messages, or and the opposite was true when Donald Trump was president. Right? We saw those. And we thought if you, you know, we thought if you if you leaned right there, you were like, that's right. How dare they? And then is there this thought though, if you lean, you know, maybe you still lean right and you're and uh, you know, and you you see this Joe Biden, and you're like, that's right. Ooh. Maybe I need to check my heart. It was last time I prayed for our president. And I, what I find interesting is like, neither of those men are perfect men. But, like we want to like pledge our allegiance to either one of them, which is mysterious to me. Um, really talks about the spiritual presence and the psychological reality. Where where are we where are we finding truth? Now, what are you saying, Andy? You don't have a political opinion? I'm just saying, have a political opinion. Don't let it be your God. Right. That's simply what I'm expressing. I'm not expressing that you shouldn't have uh, thoughtful talk about policy. Thoughtful talk about things that make a difference. Yes, please. But it's not God. At the end of the day, Psalms 118.6 says, The Lord is for me. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? What if we live like that? What if we live like that? Humbly like the Lord lived, and we said, I, I just don't have any fear. I, I'm a thinker. I'm going to think about what I say. What could these people possibly do to me? What did Paul say to be um, apart from the body is to be with Jesus. Now, what could they do? And so I, I want to I want to get us into this habit, and I'm I've been bad at this, bad pastor. All right. Uh, I do want to create a culture here where we create moments that um, we invite people to surrender their lives, and I think this is important because surrender their lives to Christ, and I think this is important because this um, really. Really was listening to this podcast that's put out by Vineyard USA. It's called We Are Vineyard, and it really just struck a chord with me so much so that I listened to it three times. How can we possibly come here and not invite people to surrender their lives to Christ? This is one of the things that we do. So over the next ten weeks, what I want to do is I want to make this promise to you as your pastor: is I want to let you know that for the next 10 weeks, and ongoing, but for the next 10 weeks, every time we meet together, I want to give an opportunity for people to surrender their lives. And here's what I'd like us all to do. Relax. One of the challenges for me, especially if in a group this small, is like when I look around, I mean, there's a few faces that I don't recognize, but I recognize a lot of faces. And one of the questions I was asked, though, is it just theatrics at this point? Why do you keep asking that? Why do we keep making the opportunity for people to surrender their lives? It is so that, that you know at Lakeland Vineyard, people will be given the opportunity to surrender their lives to Christ. Every week. And so what I want to do this morning is this. So we talked about bringing our gifts to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We talked about surrendering your life to the Lord. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to invite you, if that's you, if you're in the room and you're thinking, 
I want to give my life to Jesus. And you might not have all those pieces. What does that all mean? It means that you're going to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and your life is no longer yours, but it's his. And what I want to do is give you this opportunity to come under, to surrender all of your life to Jesus, to yield the entirety of your life. And, and, if, you, and if you haven't done that before, and you haven't said those words, Jesus, I yield and surrender my life to you, what I, want you, what I want to do is invite you this morning to do that. And what it, what it means is this, if you put it like this, I'm putting all my chips on the table. I'm not keeping any of them for me. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing everything in. I want to follow you with all that I am this morning. And maybe you're here and that's you and you've never said that out loud and so I want to invite you to do that. And here's what I, this is the next bold thing that I'd love for you to do is I would love for you then to stand. If that's you, if you're saying, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And I want to invite you to do this. If you're in the room and you're like, I ain't standing by myself. Grab the person next to you or beside you and say, would you stand with me? Because here's what I want to do. I want to create in your mind a memory that says on October 16th, 2022, I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ with my whole life. And so if that's you in this room, I just want to invite you to stand if you would. I'll just give you a couple minutes. Stand and say that I give my life to Christ. Yes, if you've never done that before. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you've never done that before. I know you have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, what I want to do is, is no one's standing. All right? What? We have to surrender every day. Every day, yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so if you and if you've never done that before and you're saying today, like that's me, like I want to do that today. And if not, here's what I would say. Is, is we're gonna keep doing this. And uh, man, here's what I would love for you. I'd love for you to know this. Oh my gosh, Andy. You feel so bad for me. <laughs> I just want to say that it's not about me. There is not a time that I'm going to be up here and be like, oh, did grief miss that? Okay? We create opportunities and spaces for people to give their lives to Christ. And we're going to continue to do that. Right? And so, if you would, everybody, stand with me. God, you are in this place. And I just pray that you would continue to have your way as we daily surrender our lives to you. It was said so well that we have to daily do this. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way in our lives as we leave here today, that we haven't just checked off a Sunday morning box, 
God, that we're learning to bring our gifts to you, which is us, and surrender completely. God, help us not to forget the promises that you have given to us. That you would never leave us and never forsake us. That no matter what we're walking through, you, Lord Jesus, go before us. And you are with us. And we have nothing to fear because our lives are found in you. So as we leave these doors today, we leave on mission to be more like you. Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way? I want to invite everyone, if you need prayer for anything, there's going to be some people that are going to be up front here um, that would love to pray for you about whatever's going on in your life. And so we, I would invite you to that. Um, if not, we'll see you guys next Sunday, uh, 10 o'clock. Peace.